Restorative Classroom Management. I'll take you on a little journey through little history and then we'll go into restorative circles. Democratic classroom theorists such as Alfie Cohn were considered a bit radical in the 1990s, but they left the dogs out in terms of wild imagination of what a classroom environment could potentially be. Although Cohn was seen as the bad boy of classroom management, along with his out-of-the-box approaches to instruction, such as not giving homework for elementary school students, there were popular authors who had similar ideas, such as Kerwin, Mendler, and Mendler. Those theorists proposed that students make rules together, sign social contracts with teachers, and be held accountable for their own behavior. In fact, the idea of accountability for behavior did survive in spite of the harsh disciplinary practices of the 1990s. Those disciplinary practices born of zero tolerance were about top-down. Those included more punitive measures and exclusionary measures to, in essence, prevent disciplinary problems and scare students into not misbehaving. This ran counter to all of the psychological theorists and behavioral and cognitive psychologists who laid the groundwork before us, such as Alfred Adler, Rudolf Dreikers, and Albert Bandura. This was no means a surprise. The late 1990s brought in student-centered instruction, but it rejected some of the early practices of the democratic classroom. Now, not all hope was gone for such practices as the responsive classroom, peer mediation to keep the peace, and use of increased counseling cropped up in spite of or parallel to zero tolerance. In fact, the trends in curriculum instruction were reflected in learning and leadership organizations throughout the country. Organizations such as ASCD, the Association for Curriculum Development, were offering up books by Cohn and Kerwin and Mendler, Discipline with Dignity, Kerwin and Mendler and Mendler, and Beyond Discipline, Alfre Cohn, were even given away as part of the Choose Two Free Book packages for yearly membership subscriptions. These ideals ran parallel to the thought processes behind the facilitative, servant, and transformative leadership movements that started to turn around how leaders treated teachers and how teachers should in turn treat students and manage classrooms. These ideals support the use of methods and approaches to discipline that should get to the root of the problem. Yet, there were still many naysayers. Some teachers say that students who are disruptive should always be removed. In fact, those teachers might say that it's hard to hold the classroom meeting when one or two groups of persistent students are acting out, but that's not the point. The point is that we should prevent discipline whenever possible, and setting a good classroom tone does so. 
Just as good leadership and instruction are proactive and take into account the needs of students, so must disciplinary practices. While good leaders and teachers lead with their hearts, there still needs to be an explanation of how to actually reduce and prevent incidents. There must be concretization of classroom management tools. It's not just that teachers are not comfortable with just winging it. They need real strategies, approaches, and ideas. There is a need for solid principles that do not focus on only office removals when kids are acting out or exclusionary practices such as timeouts or in or out of school suspensions. In fact, I remember the days when teachers used to refer students to special education or a more restrictive environment when they were acting out. And gone are those days. We need to work with the students we have. The Responsive Classroom is one of those programs that started off a good momentum of being on the right track. Yes, we started right with the democratic classroom, but there was a need for more. What made clear sense to those who were lucky enough for their principals and district leaders to purchase this program is that the responsive classroom program has many good components in it. In fact, those components are very similar to restorative classroom management. The responsive classroom started with a group of teachers in Massachusetts. The program transformed itself into a national program that took ideas from many good sources. It optimized principles of the democratic classroom and components that include students and conversations and activities within a circle practice. Students learn social skill building and teachers are taught effective instructional methods about thinking deeply and inquiry within learning. The responsive classroom approach is a good option, but it involves training and a formalized buy-in. All teachers in your school must buy into it. It is also primarily used at the elementary school level. Responsive classroom methods are similar to restorative practices. However, restorative practices are deeply rooted in a form of justice that centers on equitable practices, harmony, and acceptance of all individuals. It is a culturally responsive program. Restorative practices are rooted in restorative justice, which is about making things right and undoing harm between persons. And there's more. It's about collective consensus building, problem solving, and resolving conflicts. The other side benefits are that builds community and fosters positive relationships. These are powerful practices that are designed to prevent incidents and occurrences, which in turn will reduce the need for sending students out of the classroom, those office referrals, and all forms and types of suspensions, timeouts, and so on. Restorative practices are designed to increase morale and, in turn, the overall academic outcomes within a school. 
Restorative circle practices came to the forefront of school discipline within behavior management programs and classroom management programs, but they are very unique. Some think that these practices are just for turning around those students who would not be willing or ready for a transformation with use of traditional disciplinary practices. But restorative practices are very flexible and can be used for all students. These practices are rooted in peacemaking and peacekeeping, and they're becoming more solid as teachers are able to transform these practices within their classroom. The intention of restorative circle processes is to bring people together to resolve conflicts, to solve problems, to resolve differences, and for the deeper purposes of creating a value systems together. The use of circles has evolved in every culture. Wachtell, T. and Costello, 2010. In schools, these practices can not only be an integral part of a preventative discipline plan for the whole school, but can be differentiated for specific needs in each classroom for teachers to further attune themselves to the needs of their students. Restorative circles. Imagine a space in schools where one can just be. From preschool to graduate school, there is rarely time to just be and not have to do. We've created worker bees as young as the age of four and a half. Restorative circles are not about proving oneself or doing, becoming a superstar or winning a scholarship. They are opportunities that children and adults have to connect with themselves and others in a space sanctioned just for self-growth, self-growth, reflection, connection, and accountability for one's own actions, thoughts, and deeds. One can square oneself up with others and not have to live in denial, fear, shame, or loss of faith. Face. Having to prove oneself as a worker or a producer on a consistent basis causes undue stress. When students and adults are stressed, there is little room for an outlet or to an escape. In restorative practices, there is a chance for continuous growth, for an outlet to express oneself, and even to have a little fun. What's the catch? In order for acceptance, peace, and harmony that is reminiscent of a family feeling in circle, there has to be a willingness to let this idea in. There has to be a willingness to let go, to want change, and to feel that change can be had. There needs to be a sense of wholeheartedness. And I'm quoting Brene Brown. And she talks about wholeheartedness in her books and how it's a feeling of wanting to do right, wanting to be, and wanting to just feel good about oneself and others. It's about intentions. The dynamics in the circle are based on being rather than doing, but one has to participate. There are no labels in the circle. One is not labeled as smart or not smart within the context of the circle. We are all equals in the circle. 
Restorative circle practices with deep roots in indigenous cultures are becoming one of the most widely used restorative practices tools when schools are looking to transform culture and climate. This is because they are a purposeful relationship building tool. And it is because it empowers individuals to become less isolated and more com community oriented. Restorative circles help students build a sense of identity. Aside from building relationships and community, restorative circles are used to heal in the midst of collective and individual trauma. The healing power of restorative circle practices, when brought into a classroom, counselor's office, or advisory program, helps students to have a safe space where they can be heard and are encouraged to do so. Restorative circles can be used for students of different ages, maturity levels, and for students in special populations. Restorative circles can be used for social skills development. Belinda Hopkins, 2016, concludes that restorative circles give students a chance for a check-in system where they can be acknowledged, recognized, and heard. Circle practices. Speak with your heart, speak intentionally, and listen well. And this is a quote from, it's adapted from the four intentions of the Circle Council, www.contemplativemind.org. And I end with an urge to think about restorative circles in your school program. And I'll talk more about this. This is Cultivating Classroom Management.